If you would, please open your copy of the Word of God back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. We will be reading verses 40 to 56. Hear the Word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come again into your word, we are in your presence and we are expecting with the preaching of your word that you will be speaking to us, declaring your truth. And I pray, Father, that your word would be carried into every heart to take root there, the seed of the word of God, And bring forth fruit for your glory. Father, I pray that we would obey this commandment, not just today, but for all of our lives. Do not fear, you have said to us. Only believe. Father, you know our struggle to believe. You know our struggle against fear. Like another said to Jesus, so we pray, we do believe, help our unbelief. Would you be pleased today to give us your Holy Spirit to help our unbelief, to help us to overcome fear? I pray, Father, that you would truly, by the response of every person here, you would have glory and you would have praise Lord, may your word not fall on deaf ears again, but we pray that it would take root 
in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want to return to a question that I have often asked as we have come into the Word of God in Luke, and that is, why did Luke write this account? We're not going to return there, but the answer is found in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1. Luke wrote by the Holy Spirit this orderly account about the things that were accomplished among us so that we would be certain of Jesus. Certain of the truth of Jesus, definitely. But more than that, that we would also be certain of the worth of Jesus. God is calling you and me to be convinced of a history, to believe in a history of these works that were accomplished in that time and in that place. But He is calling on you to believe in more than a history. He is calling on you to believe in a person. His Son, the Son of His love, the Son of His glory, who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and who is the Savior of all of mankind. God is calling on you to believe in Jesus through these words. As I said recently, all of these miracles that Jesus accomplished, He accomplished for you. Okay, so... You have never been possessed by a legion of demons. You have never had any kind of skin disease that would fit under the category of leprosy. You might not have those conditions, but you're going to have a condition. You're going to have conditions, and one day you are going to die. And if you will not perish... But on the other side of death, live with God forever. You need Jesus. And so God is calling on you. And He commands you and He commands me to believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. That's why the Father arranged these works. That's why the Son accomplished them. So that the Spirit would awaken in you faith and certainty about Jesus the truth of Him, and the worth of Him. Now, we have been studying over the last few weeks a couple of days in the life of Jesus. And in these couple of days, there has been a flurry of activity around Christ. And in all of that commotion that really started in verse, well, it doesn't matter, earlier in the chapter. In all of this commotion that we have been seeing, All of this opposition against Jesus falls at his feet. Every kind of opposition. The the raging of the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. The rebellion of the demonic legion. This disease that we just read about. And then even death. All of this opposition falls at the feet of Jesus. Because this man Jesus of Nazareth is Lord of the nations. He is Lord over all. There is no dimension. There is no realm. There is nothing outside of the Lordship of Christ. We need Him. You need Him. If you will not perish, 
But on the other side of death, live with God. You need Jesus. You see, there is no opposition that can live when Jesus commands it to die. And there is no sinner who can stay dead whom Jesus commands to live. That's the power of Christ that we read about in these several verses. This is the Jesus Christ that we need. So let's start again in verses 40 to 42. When Jesus stepped back onto the Galilean shore, he had been on the other side in Gentile territory, delivering that demon-possessed man from the, the, the legion. When he stepped back onto the Galilean shore, there was a crowd of people eagerly waiting for his return. Some of these people pressed toward Jesus just because they wanted fresh grist for the rumor mill, right? Curious, fascinated even at the spectacle that surrounded Christ. But other people pressed to Jesus because they were desperate for Jesus. And on this particular day, there is no one more desperate for Jesus than this man, Jairus, who was the ruler of the local synagogue. It says that he falls at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus to come to his house now because his precious daughter, his only daughter, who is just a young girl, is dying. For that particular time, she is on the cusp of the biggest things in a young girl's life. But just as her life is beginning, it is coming to an end. And then Jesus steps on shore. Parents, picture yourself in this place. Put yourself in this man's shoes. His only daughter, 12 years of old, 12 years old. Death is coming for her. Her breathing is getting more shallow and those breaths further apart. And then Jesus steps on shore. What would you do? What would you not do? I mean, who would you not throw out of your way to get to Jesus? And so he begs Christ. This has all the makings of an epic salvation in the nick of time, right? I mean, how many miracle workers have ever stepped onto this shore before? I mean, I don't know the, the geography of the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, the famous miracle-working prophets of the past, but it's possible that no miracle worker has stepped onto this shore. Jesus has arrived. She is almost gone. And Jesus is almost there. Time is of the essence. He says, oh Jesus, come, please come. My daughter, my little girl is dying, Jesus. Hurry, Jesus, before it's too late. And so Jesus goes with him. And the crush of the crowd follows because they don't want to miss a thing. Right then we see, beginning in verse 43, there is a woman who manages to squeeze her way through the crowd to Jesus. Twelve years ago, when this little girl's life began, this woman began to bleed, and her life began to unravel. You see, according to the Old Testament Levitical law, a woman was ceremonially unclean during her cycle. But there was this in addition to that. It says in Leviticus 15, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, 
or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. This did not mean that she was dirty. It's not talking about being physically dirty. It's talking about being ceremonially unclean, which meant that in her condition, as long as it lasted, and hopefully it was just for the time of her cycle, it meant that she could not attend to the community of worship. She couldn't attend to the temple and to the tabernacle. She would have to wait until that ended. But this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. She has been excluded from the community of faith. You wouldn't want to touch her because she is a walking, bleeding contagion of uncleanness. There was a massive price to pay for touching her, and there was a big price even for anything she touched. All of it became unclean. And so this woman, I mean, it's not hard to to imagine how much she must feel. She's desperate. She goes from physician to physician, trying anything that they offered and spending everything that she has in her attempt to stop this hemorrhaging. And nothing works. But now she sees an opportunity. Jesus. Jesus has just stepped on shore in her town. And she's thinking, I imagine, If Jesus can touch the leper's wounds and the unclean leper can be healed, then surely if I touch him, I can be healed. It's not that she has some kind of superstitious, fantastical belief in magical properties that flow out of Jesus' body or anything like that. But just as she is ashamed that a hemorrhage flows from her body, so she believes that the power of God flows from Jesus' body. And so verse 44, it says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now she she has no ill intention. She, she doesn't want to make a disturbance here. She wants to remain anonymous. You know, get in and get out. Uh, squeeze in and slink out. Maybe she wants to get away without notice because of the desire for anonymity. But maybe also she has overheard what Jairus has asked, uh, how he's begging Jesus. She knows perhaps Jesus' mission, and so maybe that's another reason why she wants to touch him from behind and just get in and get out as soon as possible. She does has no desire to delay the mission of Christ. Whatever her intention, and it could have been both of those things, Jesus will not keep moving, and she is not going to stay hidden. Verse 45, Jesus stops. Who was it, he says, that touched me? The crowd freezes. And as Jesus looks around for the culprit, everybody is saying, hey, don't look at me. I was keeping my hands to myself. Peter Here's another perhaps. Peter was married. We know that. Perhaps he also had children. Perhaps he is feeling within himself Jairus' plight. And he wants Jesus to get there before this little girl loses her life. That's a perhaps. We do know that Peter thought, like Peter often thought, and like we often think, he thought that he knew better than Jesus. 
And so he says, end of verse 45, he's exasperated. Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Trying to find this person who had touched him was an exercise in futility because, of course, someone touched him. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, we must not misunderstand what Jesus is implying here. He is not implying that suddenly he has less power than what he did a moment ago. Don't think that. He is not saying, okay, somebody seriously messed up because I was saving that power for Jairus' little girl and now it's gone. What are we going to do? Obviously, he's not saying that. Now, according to Jesus' human nature, he got bone tired. And he slept like a rock under the loudest crack of thunder. We saw that in a previous episode in this chapter. But according to his divine nature, he never sleeps. And he is never at a loss for power. There was never a moment that he has less than ever. He ever was and he ever is the almighty God. Do you know who this Jesus is? I don't want you to think that Jesus would ever meet his match, that he ever had a rival, that there was a condition that was an issue for him, that he ever had to scratch his head and think, man, what do we do here? That's not who Christ is. So for the sake of getting that, let's, um, let's take this incident, this incident about this woman touching the fringe of his garments, and let's uh, bring into account the last time we saw the fringe, fringes of Jesus' garments. When would that be? Do you remember? We got to go back several centuries to the days of Isaiah the prophet, just after the death of Uzziah the king. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6.1, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe. That's the fringe of his garments. A metaphorical way, a symbolic way to speak of the edges of his splendor. And seraphim fly about him and cry to one another. Isaiah 6.3 Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Listen, the whole earth is full of his glory. The train of his robe, the fringe of his garment, the edge of his, of, edges of his splendor, fill the temple and heaven and earth and the temple and heaven and earth are bursting at the seams with the glory that they cannot possibly contain. The glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, many, many years later, in John's Gospel, John the Apostle, in referring very specifically to that temple vision of Isaiah, John pointed to Jesus, and this is what he said. This is John 12, 41. You might... Sometimes wonder, which person of the Trinity did Isaiah behold on that day? 
John answers the question. The whole Bible answers that question. Isaiah saw Christ. This is what John says. Isaiah saw His glory. He's speaking of Jesus. Isaiah saw His glory and spoke of Him. So in the very moment that Jesus perceives this release of His power, He is upholding the universe by the word of His power. He is not some kind of battery losing its charge. He is not some star that is slowly burning out. He is the Almighty God. And what He was, He is, and He ever will be. This is Jesus Christ. There has never been strength except God gave it. And after all of His giving, His power remains what it ever was. Infinite. That's Jesus. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, verse 47, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This woman had come exhausting every other option that there was. There was nowhere else to turn for her, right? And even if there was, she had nothing left to pay. And she was in a very good place. She was in the perfect place because every other hope had slipped from her fingers. And all that she had left was Jesus. And she would lay hold of Him. Why does Jesus stop? And why does Jesus search her out? Because He is going to do for her what she did to Him. As she laid hold of Him, He is going to lay hold of her. He is not going to let her go without the peace of God. And he said to her, verse 48, daughter, so tenderly. In fact, there is nowhere else in the Gospels that Jesus calls a woman daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She had tried to get in and tried to get out, but Jesus wouldn't have it. Because if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, and you must come to Jesus Christ in order to live, if you come to Jesus Christ, He will not let you keep your distance. He will draw you to Himself. I want to take a moment to speak to my sisters in Christ here, who are the daughters of God. A few have told me about things that have happened to them. And when things get reported, you can be quite certain that what you hear is the tip of the iceberg there may have been things that have happened to you that men who have used you made to happen. But this man, this Jesus, moves heaven and earth for his daughters. 
you can know without any shadow of doubt that he will die before he lets you perish. And after you have died, because he did die for you, and because he rose for you, he will take you to glory to be with himself forever. This is how Jesus feels from the heart of God for his daughters. Look at, look at Jairus here. Where does this man get this fight for his little girl? Why is it, how is it that he cannot stand to let her go? Because there is a Savior in glory who has planted love in this man's heart as an image of the divine love so that you will know that he will die before he lets you perish. I say to all the young girls here, and I say to the elderly, Jesus Christ is all that you need. He loves his own just as he himself has been loved as the Son of God. So he says to this woman, basically, get back here. You are my daughter, and don't you ever Forget it. Now you may go with the peace of God. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus had implored, Jairus had implored Jesus to come to his house to save his little girl who was so close to dying. And of course he had been thinking, like any parent would be thinking, time is of the essence. Death is almost at her door. And Jesus is almost at her door. This, the race is on. And then there was this delay. And she died. And it was too late. But Jesus immediately told this heartbroken daddy, he said, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And the question is now, in this moment, will Jairus believe more in the power of death, the great enemy of us all, or will he believe in the power of Christ? Remember, just as the angel told Mary, who had never known a man, Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. Fear is a deadly enemy that we must overcome. This, this is what fear does to you. Fear blinds the eyes of your faith to keep you from seeing the glory of God in Jesus. It blinds the eyes of your faith, which suffocates your affections for Jesus which in turn paralyzes the will of your obedience. You see how deadly fear is? Blinds the eyes of your faith, suffocates your affections, paralyzes you from obedience. This is the enemy that Jesus Christ calls us to overcome. How do we overcome fear? There's only one way. Just ask Peter. The only way to overcome fear is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. 
Do not take your eyes off and stare into the the storm and let it dissuade you of what Jesus can do. Do not get dissuaded by the gleam of the soldier's swords and let that dissuade you from what Jesus can do and who Jesus is. Don't be overcome by fear. The only way to defeat this enemy is to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. No doubt, Jairus was afraid that it was too late for his little girl. There might be someone here thinking, okay, it's too late for me. I've gone too far. I've gone back to that sin too many times. I'm in too deep. This is who I am now. I can't change. I'm too far gone. And if that's the thing that you're hearing in your head, you're not hearing God. You're hearing the devil. If that's the thing that you believe, you're believing nothing but a lie. Too far gone? I mean, look at this account. Too far gone for Christ? The storm died. The raging storm, it died. The demonic legion, it died. This disease, this discharge of blood, immediately, it died. And next, this death is going to die because all opposition, all crises, rebellion, all of the enemies of God will die. Even the enemy that is within us, that is still what we call our flesh in rebellion against him, The gospel has the power to change every life. Do we think that there is more power in our sin than power in the gospel? That there is more sin in our lives than there is grace in God? There is more grace in God than there is sin in the whole human race. Where our sin has abounded, grace abounds all the more. Don't believe the lie that you are too far gone. But hear the word of the Lord. And there might be someone here who actually needs to hear the opposite thing. Because you might be thinking, I have time. I have time to have my fun. And I have time to get back to Jesus when I'm done with my fun. The Bible says to both people, whether you think you are too far gone or you have all the time in the world to have your fun, the Bible says... This, today, now is the day of salvation. While it is today, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. You might take your last breath tonight. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now, now is the day of salvation. Don't put Jesus off. Come to Jesus. We all... Every single one of us is in desperate need of Christ. He is all that we need. Verses 51 to 53. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. These are the professional mourners gathered outside that he he puts out. All were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 
Is this little girl dead? Yes, she's dead. Of course she's dead. But not with the finality that everybody thinks she's dead. Because every time that Jesus commands with his sovereign decree, every time he commands the dead, the dead get up. Every time. Like these mourners who are gathered there. The world mocks us because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that there will be a resurrection for all people. All people, and without exception, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, John 5, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. When Jesus commands, the dead get up. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child Arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Why does Jesus, there's a lot we could talk about here, why does Jesus command their silence when he knows that the report is going to get out? I mean, it's going to get out. This is not something that you can keep a secret. They knew that this little girl was dead. They're going to see her playing in the front yard any second now. And, I mean, Jesus was there. She was dead. Jesus was there. Now she's alive. Who else, right? It was Christ. So why does he command their silence when he knows that the report will get out? Jesus is going on record to say, that this is not Resurrection Day. That that was not Resurrection Day. He was not here in the first place to raise our bodies to new life. Not yet. This little girl's resurrection was a temporary resurrection. So just like the widow's son before her and like Lazarus later on, she has been raised to one day die again when she is old. Jesus is on record saying that he is not here first and foremost for the needs of our bodies. He has come, it says in 1 John, Jesus has come to destroy all the works of the devil. But each in its own order, each in turn. First, the redemption of our hearts and minds He saves us. He frees us from the captivity of sin. And then second, the redemption of our bodies on that day. The God who is making all things new is making everything new in its time. First, what is spiritual. And then on that day, what is physical. What a series of miracles this is. I was talking to a friend yesterday who was asking me what I was going to preach on today. And I told him, we are in this section of Luke that is, for lack of, while there is better words, this is kind of a cheap word, but it is fun. It is fun. It is awesome to stand back as a, as a kind of witness to the glories of Christ on display. 
it is fun to, to see his power and the ease with which he defeats every enemy from every realm, the deep, the demonic, disease, and even death at his word. Every opposition falls at his feet. And I say it's fun because it makes you want to laugh. You, you rejoice. The people of God rejoice at the power of our Savior. I love this. These miracles tell us that the one who makes all things new has come. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who does all of God's works by the word of his mouth. He is the only one. Listen to me. He is the only one who can raise the spiritually dead to life in God. And he is the one who will on that day command and everyone who is in the tombs will come out. The bodies of those who have died in Christ, who believed in their lives, will be gloriously changed. And they will meet the Lord in the air to ever be with the Lord. And then there is a resurrection. For those who did not believe, who are not being raised up to life, but who are being raised up in their bodies to be joined to their souls, to stand before God, to give an account, and to hear the words, I never knew you. A resurrection not to life, but to eternal judgment. I realize that this sermon has been kind of here and there. I mean, preaching one thing hard and then something quite different hard. What has this message been about? Somebody might wonder. You need Jesus. That's it. You need Jesus Christ. He is all that you need. Do not give in to fear, but believe in the power of Jesus Christ to overcome all things. Do not give in to fear, but believe in the power of Christ's love for His own. He says, only believe. One day, for those who believe, all will be well. Let's pray. Father, if there is, if there is any here who has not truly come to Jesus Christ, who has not turned from trusting in themselves to trusting in Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray, Father, that they would cling to Christ in faith, abandon all of their self-hope, all of all that self-righteousness, and say, I am a sinner worthy of judgment, but you died that I might live. You rose that I might live forever with you, and you are all of my hope my Savior and my Lord. I pray, Father, that there would be none here who would on that great day stand before Jesus and hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me. Pour out your mercy and pour out your grace. 
And I pray, Father, that as we have received once again the message of our glorious Savior, I pray that our our wonder at Him would be so consuming, it would overflow. The message of Christ would spill out from us into all the dark places of our community. And I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to transfer from the kingdom of darkness the lost souls into the kingdom of your beloved Son. For your namesake, for your glory and honor, we pray and we praise you. Amen.